Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. I love this season. Um, if you're visiting with us this morning at Mars Hill, uh, we welcome you today. And we have been working through the book of John. And today we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 8, verses 39 through 59. And this is going to tag on to what we have been teaching. Uh, and to catch you up, if you haven't been with us, um, a couple weeks ago we saw... The story of Jesus at the feast of Sukkot, and we see this proclamation that he made. And we saw last week that there were some who believed, and Neil taught us that this belief in the book of John is sometimes seen as different than we may think. Sometimes belief in the book of John is seen as a genuine, soul-deep, life-changing belief, and other times it's seen as a nominal belief, a belief that doesn't have any effect on the rest of your life. And we discussed the evidences of what abiding in the Word is last week, and this week is going to grow out of that passage. And so today we're going to start Right on verse 39, it says, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Now, this is an interesting passage, and the reason why is because it cuts straight to the chase. It gets straight to the issue of what's at hand here. It's the fact that the Jewish leaders, it's the fact that this nation of people has based their whole dependence of everything on their nationality, right? We're okay. We're part of the kingdom of God. We're part of the family of, of God. Why is that? The reason why is because they have security in their bloodline. They answer Jesus, Abraham is our father. Now, this is something that's come up over before in the book of John, right? We've seen these Jews that have this faith in the fact that they are in the bloodline of Abraham, that they're in the scent of Abraham. And we even saw when Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, right? Um, Jesus interrupts all the questions that Nicodemus could be asking and says, you must be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then Nicodemus starts asking questions. Whoa, how, how, how do you do that? How, how does one do this? And, and so throughout the book of John, we've seen this emphasis on belief, even in the whole purpose of the book of John, is that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that through believing, you might have eternal life in him. And so there's this idea here that the Jews are secure at this moment. Those Jewish people that have this nominal belief or this not belief at all are secure in their bloodline. If we go back to verse 37, which we saw last week, Jesus says, I know you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do not know what you have heard from your father. I'm sorry, you do what you have heard from your father. And so we know that Jesus isn't questioning their descent. And that's really important to understand as we get into this passage. Jesus isn't saying you're not actually descendants of Abraham. That's not the issue at all. It's not an issue of ethnicity. It's not an issue of ethnic heritage. It's not an issue of being part of the nation of Israel. The real question that Jesus is asking is about sonship, right? It's not that they're not a descendant of Abraham. It's that they are not a son 
of Abraham. And this is going to bring to light the issue that's really going on, like we saw straight away. The issue that's going on is that they don't understand that there is a response of life involved in here. They don't understand that there's something bigger than this. They don't understand what the point of the message truly is. But what Jesus is emphasizing is that though you may be in the bloodline of Abraham, you are not his sons. And what Jesus expresses is something that we're going to have to struggle through today. Jesus expresses the way that I know you are not the sons of Abraham is by your works. I didn't say that. Jesus says that. And we've looked at this, and you guys remember our five solo series, if you've been part of this. We know what salvation is by. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, by according to the word alone. We know these things. But you also remember when we studied the book of John, right, that faith without works is dead. And so we're going to weave our way through this, and we're going to study down this road of exactly what Jesus means when he says, I know who your father is by your works, Let's work through this. One commentator says this, the claim of the Jews in verse 33 is now dealt with. We're Abraham's descendants. Jesus acknowledges, I know, but something is drastically wrong. Something is incredibly wrong. Why? Because your works do not reflect your sonship. What you are doing does not reflect that you're a son of Abraham. Now in the Bible, do we see a distinction of being a descendant of Abraham and a son of Abraham anywhere else? And the answer is yes, we do actually in a couple places. Look at Galatians chapter 3 starting in verse 7. It says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And so there's this idea being laid out that there's more to sonship of Abraham than simply descent, right? You guys see that theme that showed up there? It's of faith. Luke 3.8 is going to tell us the level of confidence that one is to have in their birth in the Abraham's bloodline. Listen to this. It says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Opening statement there, important. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So understand the emphasis of our passage today to the Jewish leaders is that you need to understand that what you're placing your hope in, what you're placing your faith in, what you're hanging everything on is not really what it's all about. You're hanging everything on the fact that you are of descent of Abraham, but that does not show sonship. And when we look at this passage, so if works of the religious leaders are not showing that they're a descendant of Abraham, how do we recognize sonship? What's going on here? In other words, I think that to get into this, to understand that there's this works and faith going on here, and then there's this bloodline thing going on here. I think the first thing that we need to do is get into what are the works of Abraham. Abraham. 
And I think that if we don't establish that right off the bat, we're all going to leave with this checklist in our head. And we're all going to leave thinking that we work our way to salvation. And we do not. Salvation is by faith as, as a result of the grace of God. And so if we don't approach this properly, we could get ourselves in a lot of trouble. So make sure you stick with me. We're going to weed through some stuff here, but I promise in the end, it's going to be an encouraging, amazing message from the Lord this morning. Kent Hughes says this, when Abraham heard the truth, although he lived in an idolatrous pagan world, he responded with obedience. That was his distinguishing mark. He heard the truth, took it into himself, and became obedient. So Kent Hughes is saying that obedience was the work of Abraham. Obedience was the thing that Abraham's works were. And Kent Hughes says that that is what is being referred to here in this passage. But look at this. What are the works of Abraham ultimately? It's a belief that moved him to action. If we know the story of Abraham, we understand that belief, that faith is the primary message of his life. And what are his works? His works flowed out of that faith and his works flowed out of that belief. You guys remember the story of Abraham when God called him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. Did Abraham question? No, he went up to the mountain and the people that were with him, he turned and looked at him and said, my son and I are going to go and worship and my son and I are going to return. And when Isaac looks over at him and says, but where's the lamb? He says, God will provide the lamb. His faith, his absolute dependence on the Lord, his hanging his life on every word from the Lord brought him to a place where there was evidence of that in his life. Do you see that? That it wasn't just an I believe. We see in the book of John the people that simply say, I believe. Those people, when the teaching gets tough, what do they do? They leave. They abandon. They never truly believed. And so Abraham... His work was belief. That was what he did. Faith was what he did. But understand that there were things that went along with that faith. It's like when you came in this morning, you exercised faith. When you sat in that chair, how many of you before you sat down kind of pushed on it a little bit and kind of kneaded it? And maybe you put half your weight on it to make sure that it was going to hold you. Nope. What'd you do? You turned around and you sat in. You have faith that it was going to hold you, right? You, you believed something and your life had an evidence of that thing that you believed. You sat down. You believed that the chair was going to hold you. So understand that saying that I have faith in Jesus is going to cause things to show that you have faith in Jesus. And see, this is what we were talking about last week, that moving beyond a nominal belief and so if we see the works of Abraham, the works of Abraham was faith. This is, this is not a, a works-based message. This is not a you have to earn your salvation, you have to be good, you have to be perfect. It's still the message of the gospel. It's faith. But understand that faith looks like something. So if they did not act or show the works of who they thought was their father, Abraham, what were their works? What was the evidence of who their father is that we're going to begin to see? Look at verse 40. 
It says, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So what did Abraham do? Abraham responded in faith. Abraham heard the word of the Lord. Abraham embraced the word of the Lord. Abraham moved and worked on the word of the Lord. He responded in obedience to the word of the Lord. He responded in truth. He accepted truth. But now these who say they're sons of Abraham, what are they trying to do? They're rejecting the truth. They're trying to murder the truth. They're trying to murder the word. They're trying to eliminate Jesus. And so instead of embracing the word of God, they're rejecting it. Look, if you were sons of Abraham, you would embrace the word of God. But you're not sons of Abraham. How do I know by your works? And what is their work? Rejection. There's faith and there's rejection. And we're seeing a picture of both these, right? We see the faith of Abraham. We're seeing the rejection. Guys, there's only two options in this whole thing. So many people think that there are so many different ways and different paths of life. There's the path of faith, and there's the path of rejection. There's not anything in the middle. One commentator says this. They're trying to kill him. They have no place for revelation from God that Jesus brings. This is in crass contradiction to their status. It appears that a different father is involved here. Not just the father Abraham. There's something else going home. Verse 41, Jesus says this too. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So Jesus again here is, is he's pushing now. Notice this. He's already said their father's not Abraham, right? But what has Jesus said now? You're doing the works your father did. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that not only is your father not Abraham, he's implying that they have no idea who their father is. They they think they know, but they have no idea who their real father is. And and we see this defense that they say to him. They say to Jesus, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. What's going on here? Some commentators connect this. He's saying, you are doing the works of your father, and then they try to defend themselves. You see how this is laid out? It's an accusation and a defense. They say that they're connecting themselves back to the Old Testament. They're connecting themselves in the bloodline uh, descent of Israel here again. Maybe they're connecting themselves to Deuteronomy 6, uh, the Shema. Maybe they're connecting themselves to all of these things, but, but either way, no matter which path you take to get to what they're trying to do, they're trying to justify themselves in their lineage yet again. They're totally missing it. Jesus has been promoting that you're missing this. You're not sons of Abraham, but what do they do? They're trying to double down. No, we're sons of God. We're we're sons of God. How are you sons of God? Well, your evidence doesn't show that. But there's something else here that's interesting that uh, some of the commentators pick up on that I think makes sense in the context of the book of John. Why on earth would they say we were not born of sexual immorality instead of just skipping that line and going to we have one father, even God? One of the arguments is this. Um, You guys that have been with us through the book of John know that one of the main reasons the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus is because he didn't look like the Messiah they were looking for, right? You guys remember a few chapters back, they say, we know where you came from. 
You guys remember that? And um, they, they had these presuppositions of where Messiah would be, who, where he would come from. They had presuppositions that he would appear suddenly in the temple. Jesus didn't match any of this. So what does that mean? They know where Jesus came from. Imagine the story for just a minute. Ah, you're that kid. I, I remember hearing this. Your mom ended up pregnant before she married your dad. And your dad even says that he's not your dad. As a matter of fact, they didn't, uh, they got married and you're illegitimate. You don't even know who your dad is. Joseph, the guy who's been taking care of you, he's not your father. So what might they be doing here? They might be poking back at him. We're getting to the point of personal attacks now, right? They can't defend themselves much anymore based on truth. So what are they saying? Oh, we're not like you. We know who our dad is. You don't even know who yours is. The dad that's been raising you isn't even your father. He said he wasn't your father. He, you were pre- your mom was pregnant before they even came together. And so understand that this is just a jab at who Jesus is yet again. Why? Because he doesn't fit into the criteria that they've set out for Messiah. They say, wait a minute, who's actually illegitimate here? They're trying to defend themselves based on personal attacks. Verse 42, we see a continuation for the case of their true father. Verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. What's happening here is Jesus is again saying, look, there's more evidence. There's more things to point to the fact that you are not the sons of who you say you are. Because if you were descent of Abraham, if you were sons of Abraham, you would embrace God in faith. You would embrace his word. You would love God. And we've seen this over and over through the book of John, right? One of the evidences that's presented over and over again that they do not love God is that they reject his son. You guys have seen that through the whole book of John, right? This shows up over and over and over. And it's this circle that if you love the Father, you would love the Son. And if you love the Son, then you love the Father. And if you love the Father, you love the Son. And we've seen this over and over again. And Jesus is laying out again his connection to the Father and saying that if they loved the Father, they would love the one that is from the Father, that is of the Father, He also brings up this evidence that they can't stand his word. That they can't stand what he's saying. And we'll see that their will is ultimately to do their true father's desires. Their true father's desires is to reject faith. It's to reject truth. And so in verse 44, we see in dramatic fashion the revelation of who their father really is. Remember Jesus had already said, you don't know who your father is, but your works are showing who your father is. Jesus is laying out this case. Verse 44, look at this. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. 
But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Wow. Jesus looks at the people of God. Uh, Jesus looks at the descendants of Abraham. Uh, he, he looks at obeyers of the law, people who have followed their religiosity to a T, people that have done the things that they're supposed to do, people who their life shows that they're, they're, they're a good person. He looks at them and says, no, 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 your father is not God. Your father is Satan. And watch, let me show you why. It's because he's the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. He rejects the truth. There's no truth in him. He is a liar. All of the things that you're accepting shows that you are his sons. This is such a powerful, bold statement. Now, in this, I notice that it says he was a murderer from the beginning. When I see things like that, I always begin to think back to Genesis. I begin to, to think back to things that we know about the beginning. And there's a couple of pictures here that could be being referred to here by Jesus. I think it's interesting that when they say he was a murderer from the beginning, think of the lie. Uh, think of the, in the garden that Satan said, did God really tell you not to eat of that fruit? Did he say that you would die if you ate that fruit? No, he doesn't really mean that. His problem is, is that if you eat of that fruit, that you'll be like him. Your eyes will be opened. You'll know good from evil, and that's the problem. So what happened? Adam and Eve, they, they fell for the temptation. They fell for the trap. They ate the fruit. And what happened? Death entered the world. Satan's a murderer from the beginning. But also what happened? Watch this. Satan proved he was a liar. Because Satan said that if you take this fruit, your eyes will be opened. But what really happened? They became blind to God. We, we've talked about this before. That in the very beginning, the original sin was Satan laying out there a lie. And when they took the fruit, the exact opposite of what he said happened. The exact opposite. Their eyes were closed. They entered into darkness. They experienced death. Why? Because the devil is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Here's another picture here that it may be pointing to. One commentator grabbed onto the story of Cain and Abel here. Remember, there's one Abel who is, whose offering was acceptable to the Lord and one Cain who their offering was rejected by the Lord and the one that's offering was rejected murdered the one who was accepted, right? And, and so that commentator grabbed onto the fact that what may be happening here is a picture of that. How Jesus is the one whose offering is acceptable to the Lord in faith, Abraham. And we also see that the Jewish leaders here, their work is not acceptable to the Lord and they seek to murder the one whose offering is. And so I found that an interesting argument too. But understand this connects back to just the character of Satan. Who he is, he is a liar. There is no truth in him. And notice that they are rejecting the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus is speaking the truth and they can't accept the truth because their father's a liar. 
So Jesus is tying all of this together to say, hey, look at what's going on. Notice what's happening. They keep trying to catch Jesus in sin, and they can't. They keep trying to point out where Jesus is wrong, and they can't. They keep accusing him of all of this wrongdoing, and they can't. They keep throwing accusations at him, and they're all wrong. Why is that? Because their life is based on the lie that Satan has fed them. That their works, their religiosity, who they are, is enough. They're the sons of the devil because their life reflects that they bought the lie. That's the picture that's here. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Now, this is an obvious attempt again to discredit Jesus, right? We know that the Samaritans are despised people. We know that if a demon is speaking through Jesus, that they could discount that also. Um, commentators grab on the different parts of this. They say that they may be calling Jesus a Samaritan and the fact that Samaritans were considered heretics. Remember, they would not worship in Jerusalem. They believe that they worship somewhere else. Others say that um, they could be calling Jesus a Samaritan because they were considered those who tried to speak truth were called magicians. And the reason why they were is not because they you know, pulled rabbits out of hats or anything. It's because they spoke truth but had never learned under a rabbi. And so they were manipulators, they were deceivers. And so maybe they were trying to call Jesus that, someone who had never studied under a rabbi, and, and that would kind of fit with the context of what we see, right? His teaching's not like any that they had seen before. Um, we also know that after the time of Jesus, there were some that came out of Samaria claiming to be Messiah, um, and one commentator grabbed onto that, but I don't think that the history fits, but they could have been calling, calling him a false Messiah. Um, maybe they were pointing out the fact that uh, the Samaritans had this affinity with Jesus' teaching. Maybe they were just simply pointing out that a Samaritan was somebody that you could not have fellowship with. But the truth of the matter is, no matter what you accept, that they have resorted to personal attacks because they can no longer fight him based on truth. They, they can't fight him based on the truth of what's happening. That They don't have anything. Jesus says, who among you accuses me of sin? They don't have anything. And so they go to these personal attacks. They try to, to say that he is not able to be trusted because he is one of them. And so they go to these personal attacks. Verse 49. Jesus answered him, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. So they seek to dishonor Jesus, but notice that Jesus doesn't really defend himself. He keeps pointing back to the fact that he came to give glory and honor to the Father. And that becomes very interesting in the end of this passage because it says, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. God is seeking the glory of Jesus. And, 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 and this gets so interesting as we work through this, because if you were here um, two weeks ago, remember we had this idea of judgment coming up again there, right? And it's come up before. And I mentioned in that passage that what I see happening there is that when Jesus is glorified, every single person will believe, right? It's gonna be too late, but every person will believe. You're either gonna believe in glorification, you're going to believe in condemnation. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The claims of Jesus will 
be realized one day. And they are going to see that. Jesus will be glorified. Jesus will be glorified through the person of Jesus. Uh, Verse 51 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Notice this again. Anyone who keeps my word, he will never see death. This idea of life is such a theme in the book of John, isn't it? It's a life that physical death cannot extinguish. Those who keep the word will be resurrected to eternal life in Christ Jesus. And this is at odds with what they believe. This is at odds with their message of who fundamentally they think they are. Why? Because they respond with no one's greater than Abraham. And yet he died. Who who are you claiming to be, to have, to offer eternal life? Even Abraham, our great patriarch, died. What they're asking Jesus again is, who do you make yourself out to be? We see over and over that question has shown up. Who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you say you are? And we remember back in 825, Jesus answered that question. He says, I am who I've been claiming from the very beginning. Their response also reminded me of the Samaritan woman. You remember when Jesus said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink of water. And he goes through that whole conversation. And what did she say? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus is like, well, as a matter of fact, I am. Here, are you greater than our father Abraham? The answer is, as a matter of fact, yes, I am. And they're still missing it. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the patriarchs. He's perfection. He's the completion of everything. And yet they still miss it. And I think that it's important, again, that even though it would be easy, because I've heard people make this argument before, that when they read the Bible, it's a, it looks like Jesus is trying to, to glorify himself. People who believe that he is false. People believe that he's not the Messiah. People who believe that we're crazy. They say, well, of course he's a madman. All that he do, does is go around boasting about himself and glorifying himself and elevating himself. All he does is point to the Father. That's all he does. He doesn't boast about himself. It would have been very easy for him in that moment to do it, he, he just simply points back to God. He simply points all direction back to the Father. Verse 54 shows us this. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. One commentator even talks about this again and again. Jesus rejects their accusations of self-glorification. 
again with an appeal to the Father. If he glorifies himself, his glory would not mean anything. It's my Father who glorifies me. Jesus' opponent should realize this since it is the Father of whom you say that he is your God. If they really knew God, then they would hear his voice in Jesus, in his word and deed. So again, they don't know who they're claiming their father is. Notice also in this passage, though, he says, I keep his word. Standing before the religious elite who say that they keep the word perfectly. He's saying that he keeps his word. What is he implying? That they do not. That though their whole life is built around this religion of works, though their whole life is built around them being perfect, their life is built around them being righteous, who is actually the ones who are not doing the works of the Father? Those very people. This would have been so weighty. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus makes a huge claim now that can't be hidden, that can't be misunderstood. Before Abraham was, I am. Who's he proclaiming himself to be? God. God. God's name. Who who, who will I tell them sent me? Go back to the Old Testament. I am. He is saying without any shroud, without any place for confusion, they, they can no longer say, who do you claim to be? Who does he claim to be emphatically here? He claims to be God. And here it is, verse 59. We we see it, but we need to understand what's happening here. What father are they doing the works of? Here it is. They only had two choices. One, accept the truth by faith and live by it. Or two, reject the truth. And they show who their father is when they reach down to pick up the rocks to stone him. The ultimate rejection. Murderer, like their father from the beginning. Liar, deceiver from the beginning. Blind from the beginning. In darkness from the beginning. Their action reflects who their father is. Their action reflects their lack of faith. Now we've worked through this. So so what do we take home from this? What, What do we apply from this? The first point is very, very obvious. Who's your father? Have you responded to the claims of Jesus through belief and faith, transformation? Or have you picked up your stones in unbelief? Remember the whole purpose of the book of John in John 20, 31 is that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that by through belief, you may have life in his name. Have you believed? Have you accepted that? Is your faith in that message? See, the purpose is to stand as legitimate sons and daughters of God, not illegitimate children. The the second point of this 
is that salvation is not achievable by association. If being part of the kingdom of God was achievable by association, the, the Pharisees, the Jews, they would be totally fine. Why? Because they're descendants of Abraham, but they're not sons. Why? Because sonship requires reflecting the works of your father, which is faith, which is belief, which is life change. And so when we look at this, understand that you are not part of the kingdom of God by association because you come to Mars Hill. Maybe you're a member here. Maybe you give here. Maybe you do other things. Maybe you're a member at another church and you're here visiting today. Maybe your dad was a deacon. Maybe your dad was a pastor. Maybe your mom played piano in church. Maybe all of these things, but understand that is not about you. It's about your faith, your response that you may believe. Association does not make you part of the family. Son and daughtership makes you part of the family. And we have to understand that. The third thing is, is that you cannot say that your father is God and not have any evidences of it. Oh, wait a minute, Tommy. Now you're talking about works again. I'm talking about works again because the Bible's talking about works again. It's not that you're saved by your works. It's that when you have faith in something, it warrants a response. It doesn't mean perfection. Watch this. Raise your hand in here if you mess up every single day of your life. There, we're all in the same boat. It's not about perfection. But the question is, does your life reflect that you have faith? Do you walk in sometimes and sit in the chair without checking it? Do, do, you, do you put full faith in God that, it, that your life shows that you do? Do you have faith in the Lord that he is truth and that the world is a liar? Do you have this thing in your heart that ha has a desire for the word of God, that has a desire for obedience even when we lack? That's the Holy Spirit working in us. We don't want that on our own. Uh, understand that there is evidence of this. The fourth thing I think that we see in this passage is persistence in sharing the truth. Even in just knowing they're going to reject. Continuing to reject. What does Jesus do? He proclaims truth. He proclaims truth. Guys, we that are in Christ have the truth. We must share that even in the face of rejection. And that's not just in sharing the gospel. That's societal truths. That's things that right now in our world are considered okay, but we understand according to the word of God that they're not. And it's not that we get all judgy, but we instead say the word of God says this, and, and, and I must stand on it. We instead say that there is an absolute truth, that there is one that is absolutely true, that truth is not relative, we have that truth in our life and we must stand on it. The fourth thing in this is so encouraging that the life that Jesus offers cannot be quenched by physical death. 
Those of us that are in Christ will live forever. Verse 51 said, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. We have a life that transcends physical life. We have a life that is eternal in Christ Jesus. This is a little bit long, but I I want you to hear this. John Piper takes all of this and puts it in a pretty little box and puts a beautiful little bow on top of it. And I want to read what he says about this. Listen, this is so good. Quoting John Piper, Paul says in Galatians 3.29, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to promise. So when God said to Abraham 4,000 years ago, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. He opened the way for any one of us, no matter what nation we belong to, to become a child of Abraham and an heir of God's promise. All we have to do is share the faith of Abraham. That is, bank our hope on God's promises, so much so that if obedience requires it, we could give up our dearest possession like Abraham was willing to give up Isaac. We don't become heirs of Abraham's promise by working for God, but instead by being confident that God works for us. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That's why Abraham could obey God even when obedience looked like a dead-end street. He trusted God to do the impossible. Faith in God's promises, or today we would say, Faith in Christ, who is the confirmation of God's promises, is the way to become a child of Abraham. Obedience is the evidence that faith is genuine. Therefore, Jesus says in John 8, 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. Children of Abraham are people from all nations who put their hope in Christ. And like Abraham on Mount Moriah, Therefore, don't let the loss of their most precious earthly possessions stop their obedience. You who have hope in Jesus Christ and follow him in the obedience of faith are the descendants of Abraham and heirs of this covenant promise. I think that's so good. It wraps it up so well that we're heirs in faith, but our faith is not empty. Uh, True faith requires a response. And I think that there's some questions that we can ask ourselves about our true faith. Do we have true faith? Number one, do you love Jesus? You can't have faith in the message of Christ and not have love for Christ. Does his word find a place in you? And has it changed you? So have you trusted the one who can make illegitimate sons and daughters legitimate sons and daughters? Have you trusted the Jesus that claims that he is life, that he's light, that he's truth, that he is God, that he is I am? Have you seen love for the son in your life showing that you're truly 
are in love with the Father? Has his word found a place in your heart? Has it transformed you? Or is it transforming you in this process of sanctification? Do you seek truth? Do you not accept lies? The question of this passage is who is your Father? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the self-examination that it brings. But Lord, even more than self-examination, <laughs> which is always going to be flawed if we're sons of the wrong person, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit examines us. Lord, that you bring conviction to our heart. Lord, we know that we cannot have faith in you without you drawing us. We know that this is all started by you. And so, God, I pray that you draw people this morning. Lord, I ask that you stir our hearts to depend on you more and more. God, that, that you move us toward you. God, that you draw us toward righteousness. God, I pray that our life reflects you, but those in this room that may feel they have salvation by association, I pray that your Holy Spirit work in them and that you show that there's no good people, that your sons of God, daughters of God, are either sons of the devil, daughters of the devil. There's nothing in the middle. God, I pray that you convict. I pray that you move. Lord, let today be the day that someone generally places their hope and their faith in you to a degree that they hang their entire eternity, their entire life on it. God, I pray that you be with those of us who have done that, who you've moved to do that, and we've responded in faith. God, move us to be proclaimers of the truth. Lord, move us to abide in your word. Move us to be you to the world around us. Let us be your mouthpiece proclaiming that you are the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, and that through by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. God, I ask that you just allow your word to sit in our heart. Allow your Holy Spirit to teach us the aspect of this message that we need to learn today. I thank you again for your word. And it's the name of your son, Jesus, that I pray. Amen.